0: I didn't allow myself the emotional time to even deal with what was happening because I was so structured with my work and we had a, we actually had a 24 hour call requirement. So I took my phone absolutely everywhere. It didn't matter whether I was going to the toilet, whether I was on vacation whatever it was, I had to have my phone with me at all times because when the government called me, I had 24 hours to find humans, (laughs) people, and send them and get them on the ground in Iraq or Afghanistan. That's how long I had. And so my life was so focused on getting things done quickly, efficiently, with a high quality that my personal life really, I don't think I allowed myself even time to process really what was going on.
1: Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials. Here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week we have an extraordinary soul, April Kinney. This beautiful life coach and mentor has actually had 20 plus years of professional experience. Wait till you hear her story. She has worked for small business and global Fortune 500 corporations, including General Electric, Jacobs Engineering, and Fluor Corporation. She's managed multiple contracts for the US government in Iraq and Afghanistan at the height of war. She's a former director, risk management, and strategic planning person, and she is also the owner of Kinney & Kinney, a coaching business and professional services consultancy. This woman has lived and traveled the world from the U.S. to Australia, South America, Canada, South Africa, and the Middle East. She's participated in so many sports, as you'll hear in our interview, things like karate, running, yoga, cycling, tennis, triathlon, powerlifting, fitness modeling, dancing. She's even done car restoration. She is a first-time mum at age 48 to a beautiful baby girl. Her story is incredible as you hear how in her world of life and in engineering and all the different roles that she's played, you can just get to understand how such a structured life then embodies the emotional side as she's gone through her life. I know you're going to love her story. It's so interesting, so profound, and incredibly eye-opening. And I look forward to hearing your comments and feedback. You can go to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison28, or you can go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training. You can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. And please share the links on your favorite podcast platform. And also, I truly do. I know I say it every week, but I mean it. Your five-star rating means the world to me. Your comments, your thoughts, your feedback, I see it all and I'm incredibly indebted to your following and your commitment to other support of having amazing souls like April on the show. Cannot wait to hear what you think of this week's interview. Take care. Be kind. One of my favorite things of all is to interview beautiful souls who not only do I get to sometimes work with, play with, but also get to be a client of even at times and also have a beautiful connection through the studies and the work that we've been doing and gives me absolute great pleasure to welcome to the self-love podcast, a beautiful April Kinney. Welcome, sweetheart.
0: Oh, thank you, Kim. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's such a delight to have you on here. And I think before we get into all of the incredible things that you do, let's give the listener a little brief background as to who you are. You've obviously got a little accent there. So take us back where you grew up, how you've come to doing the work that you've done. Really share with us the whole story of who April truly is.
0: Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a big story, Kim. So... I'm American, so that's where my accent is from, but people who usually meet me, they say, well, you don't sound necessarily American, and I grew up in California, and they say, well, you don't sound like you're from California either. You sound like you're from the Midwest, and I said, well, that's probably about right because I grew up traveling the world with my family, and so while I was born in California, we moved probably seven times before I got to my high school years. And my father worked for an engineering construction company and he was a very senior project director. And so when the company had their biggest, most important jobs, they sent our family to wherever the job was so that my father could run the project. So we started out in living in Holland and we lived there for three years. And the funny story about that was that I actually grew up speaking Dutch before I spoke English. So not that I remember any of it now, but that's where my my language started from. And then we moved to Germany and we lived there for a couple of years. And we lived in Saudi Arabia, we lived in Australia, And every once in a while in between those projects, they would send my father home and home was California. And so for my entire growing up years, my brother, who's three years younger than than mine and I, we lived all over the world with my family, just experiencing different people and different cultures and different weather and different environments and I think that that experience really like set the foundation for who I am and what's important to me in my life. Um, My father was an engineer, my grandfather was an engineer, my uncle was an engineer, my mother was a math teacher and so science and math was just like kind of inbred, I think, in our family. And so I remember when I was in high school and I had a long conversation with my dad about what I was going to study when I went to school. And I think probably he was biased because he was an engineer and so much of his family was in engineering But the conversation went along the lines of, well, engineering is a really good career for a number of different reasons. And one was that it was quite diverse. So being able to study an engineering degree would be, I would say, fairly intensive. And so if I could study and do well in engineering, I could pretty much study and do well in anything else. (laughs) Um, and then, and then also, I think there was a little bit of an aspect of when I graduated as an engineer that I would be able to have a, you know, a lucrative, um, offer from a company and be able to start my financial journey along the lines of my career and being able to you know, make myself financially independent, and so that's what I did. So I went to school at the University of California in San Diego, which was the most beautiful place, I think, in the world to go to school. I'm probably a bit biased, but it was beautiful, and I studied chemical engineering, and I would say It was interesting because I got to my third year of school and I was working at a, as an intern during the summers at an engineering construction company that my dad worked at. And I thought, well, I don't know that I really like enjoy this. It wasn't something that really touched my heart, but I had in my mind that it was a good solid career that would allow me to set a foundation for for my you know for my career for my life financially for any family that I might have and so I just persevered I think is really the word I would use and I went through my engineering degree and I earned my degree quite a long time ago now, if you ask me the year, I don't even know that I'll remember. (laughs) But anyway, and I had a couple of key interviews when I graduated from school. And I had interviews with DuPont, General Electric, and Chevron, which as a chemical engineer, when you get interviews from those companies, you go, wow, I have really made it because I have the opportunity to interview with some of the you know the biggest companies to go into as a graduate from a chemical engineering degree and i remember going up to my interview at chevron and of course i was flown to these interviews and i was put up in a hotel and i was interviewed the next day and taken out for lunch and for dinner and then sent home so it wasn't a skype interview or a zoom interview and it wasn't just down the street they were actually quite um intensive events I had to put together a uh, about a 45 minute presentation on one of my senior projects that I was working on and so when I attended those interviews I actually felt very I don't know I felt I really felt good about myself and I thought oh wow I've done something really remarkable I'm interviewing with these wonderful companies for this beautiful job and I remember when I got my first um offer of employment and it came from Chevron. And I was like, oh wow, this is awesome. It was a great salary. It was actually my highest paying offer. And the only problem was is that I was going to be hired into the control systems engineering group working at a refinery. And I thought to myself, I thought, you know, I can't imagine anything worse than working at a refinery. And something inside me just said, you know what, I've just gone down the wrong road. And I couldn't change directions of where I was going because I'd gone down that road for, in my mind, (laughs) gone down that road in such a long time that I couldn't change directions. And everyone was so proud of me for what I had done. So anyway, um, I declined my offer from Chevron, which was my, I don't know, it was kind of like the golden ticket, Kim. And I ended up working for General Electric, and I hired into their sales and marketing program, which was not exactly the most traditional route for a chemical engineer to go, Um, But they needed and they wanted and they only hired engineers into their sales and marketing program. So I kind of justified it to myself saying, well, you can't get into the program unless you're an engineer. So (laughs) so nonetheless, that's where I started my professional career. I started my professional career at General Electric. And it was a three year intensive training program and it was phenomenal. And even still to this day, I think the experience that I had during those few years at GE were amazing. And I learned so much, not from an engineering perspective, but from a sales and marketing perspective, from a speaking perspective, from the opportunity to serve as a leader in my particular organization was quite remarkable. And so while I enjoyed the learning experience, I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was doing. So I ended up selling (laughs) electrical switchboards, panel boards, lighting, because I worked with GE lighting at the time. And I thought this really isn't very interesting and it really isn't very exciting. <laughs> so nonetheless, um, I, left, I left GE after the end of my three-year training program because I didn't want to sell panel boards and electrical switchgear and lights and conduit for the rest of my life. So I, um, I went to work for another company um, I went to work for Jacobs Engineering and I went to work in their proposal and marketing department, putting together long proposals for massive jobs that they did for the U.S. government. And that to me was much more exciting because I got to be creative. I got to be innovative i got to work with the executive teams and putting together the the strategy on how we would go and capture this work and win the work instead of having it go to our competitors and i really i i loved it i had a great time there and i worked on some remarkable projects um and had a fantastic experience and then one day i got a call from a small business in San Diego, and they said that they knew they knew who I they knew who I was because I had done a reasonably good job and I was quite successful with the proposals that I ran um, for Jacobs Engineering. And they said, Well, we'd like you to come and run our proposal and marketing department. And at the time I was probably, I don't know, maybe second in line at Jacobs to have that position and the two people that were in front of me because it was a very traditional working environment where you know kind of had to climb that like corporate ladder one step at a time and there wasn't really the opportunity to jump steps and if there was somebody that had been at the company longer than I was which there was then they would have seniority for any position that would open up. So I decided to leave and I went to work for this small business to run their marketing and proposal department. And they um, performed work for US military bases in Europe. And most of the work was involving base operations, maintenance and support services. So for the US military. And so I spent another couple of years working for them. doing work again for the U.S. government. So I ended up um, having years of experience working for Jacobs and for this small business, capturing work for the U.S. government for a private company. And so I suppose the, you know, the word gets out. There's not really a lot of um, people that at the time were involved in that kind of work. And so I got another call from a larger engineering construction company, Fluor, and they wanted me to go to run their proposal and marketing department because they were trying to get into work for the Department of Defense, which was where I did all of my work with the Department of Defense. And they were quite successful with the work that they did with the Department of Energy, but it's quite a different, I would say quite a different Um, arm of the government. And so that's what I did. So I went up to Washington state in the US and worked for them for a couple of years doing work for the US government. And then um, we went to war with Iraq and Afghanistan. And that was a massive, massive turning point in my life for a number of different reasons. Um, I had been married for the first time at that time. And I was, (laughs) I was not in a happy, successful marriage. And I had a couple of things happen in my, my personal life. And I thought, well, one, I need to get out of this relationship and find something really else to to do. And because of the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, there was a tremendous multiple billions of dollars worth of work available to contractors who would go and do work in the middle of the war. And not every company was willing to willing to do that. Um, The company that I worked for was willing to do that and I was asked to put together a proposal team to capture, at the time I think it was probably 10 billion dollars worth of work for the company and the projects that we were working on were things like um, just rebuilding the entire infrastructure of Iraq so all the water all the roads all of the electrical um, distribution and supply just buildings anything and everything to help rebuild the country and so I put together this massive massive proposal team to capture the work and because the project was so I would say, so visible and so important to the company. I had a weekly brief that I sent out to the CEO of the company and to the executive directors to give them um, updates on what was happening. And ironically enough, because I was so busy, (laughs) I think I probably worked 120 hours a week, Kim. So I would wake up in the morning, I would go to work, I would work all day, I would come home, have dinner, and then I would go back to work and work until probably I I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore and then come home and do it all over again. And it was a combination of being in a relationship that I knew that I had to leave and having this opportunity to immerse myself in a massive earth shattering job for this company. And so it kind of forced, um, I would say a significant life, life change. And so I ended up moving from Washington state to Greenville, South Carolina in the US. And all these proposals were run out out of South Carolina. And at the end of the day, we were very, very successful. Um, of the five, one, two, three, four, five, six. Of the six projects that we were proposing to work on, we won four. And so that was, I was, that was a massive, massive turning point for myself, for the company. Um, For my relationship, I went through a divorce um, while I was going through this particular time in my life. And so it sent off a different, like a different avenue of my career. So because I was doing such a good job of running, of winning this work. Um, I had an opportunity to actually to to do some of the work. So I moved out of proposal development and out of marketing and I moved into project management and I worked for an amazing man who gave me some incredible opportunities, despite the fact that I hadn't actually run a project in the past. And so he gave me an opportunity to run some very small projects and we were doing work in Iraq and Afghanistan for the U.S. military during the middle of the war. And at some point in time, I got called into his boss's office. And he said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said, he says, you know, you can't send people into the middle of a war if you're not willing to go yourself. (laughs) And I thought, wow, I said, I said, really? I said, you've got to be kidding. I was not prepared to go into the middle of a country in a war. And I understood his point that there is a difference between being willing to send other people there and going yourself. And I think the difference was, Kim, the difference was that the people that I was sending wanted to go. And 99% of the people that wanted to go, wanted to go for financial reasons because it was extremely lucrative to go. And so you could go and you could spend a year working on a military base in Afghanistan or Iraq, and it would probably cover, I don't know, maybe three years if you were working in the home office, maybe a maybe a little bit more depending on which remote site that you were you were at and so nonetheless I had this conversation with the boss of my boss and I said well thank you very much for your (laughs) thank you very much for your input but I'm really not willing to take an assignment an assignment there because I didn't that's not where I wanted to live and So the, I would say the compromise, the compromise was that I would travel. I would travel there. And, um, so I kind of had this running joke with the people that worked for me. And I said, I said, look, I said, don't screw it up because you know what, when I show up there, you will not be happy (laughs) because it was not where I wanted to, not where I wanted to go. And, um, but, but I did um i didn't make many trips i made a few trips um probably one of the most uh unnerving unnerving trips of my life um but that's that's what i that's what i did back then that was my that was my job that was my responsibility and i think in some ways it was you know, what I wanted to do because I wanted my team to, I wanted my team to be successful. I wanted my, my projects to do well. I wanted our clients to be happy. And I knew that I could like have that kind of influence. And so, so we did. The projects that I ran were extremely successful. Um, the people that I worked with were absolutely fantastic people and a even the people that I worked with back then, uh gosh, it was it was at least it was at least 15 years ago now. I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that I worked with back then because it was such a unifying, unifying experience. And yeah, just one I think we'll as a team just kind of never forget. So nonetheless, um That was my, I would say my foray into project management wasn't, um, was managing projects um, for the U.S. military in the middle of a war. Um, So that, I'd say that brings some, that brings some perspective to to life. Um, Wow, and then what happened? That was such like, such a massive, massive point in, In my
1: in my life, Um, can I can I I, just say to you just just hearing the story? I don't know many people who know people who, excuse me, have worked directly in association or alongside or within a war, and so it is actually fascinating for me to hear your story and your pathway. but also how you managed yourself through that as well as, like you said, on the personal front. You know, you're away from home anyway, but there was lots of personal things happening for you. Would this be, is it fair to say that that background of engineering, the work that you've done, the divorce, everything you do, excuse me, everything you do has sort of structure to it And how did you manage a personal upheaval in the middle of being so structured and organized and all the work that you did?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think, to be honest, was that I just approached it from exactly the same perspective. And so there wasn't, at at that time in my life, there wasn't really a lot of, I don't know, maybe... I didn't allow myself the emotional time to even deal with what was happening because I was so structured with my work and we had a, we actually had a 24 hour call requirement. So I took my phone absolutely everywhere. It didn't matter whether I was going to the toilet, whether I was on vacation whatever it was, I had to have my phone with me at all times because when the government called me, I had 24 hours to find humans, (laughs) people, and send them and get them on the ground in Iraq or Afghanistan. That's how long I had. And so my life was so focused on getting things done quickly, efficiently, with a high quality that my personal life really i don't think i allowed myself even time to process really what was going on it was just i knew that i had to leave the situation that i was in i i moved out of the home that i lived in um I contacted a lawyer, I put in all of the paperwork for um the divorce and I and I left. And I don't think I I don't think I really allowed myself any any time to really process what was going on or think about what I was going to do next or you know, think about any ramifications. It was just, okay, I'm going to get out and this is how I get out. And you push the button and you say, ready, go. And that was it. <laughs> so
1: Do you think that that, I mean, look, I mean, I'm hearing how that can be a problem for us if we don't address our emotions or support ourselves or actually think about it, but it's also a quality isn't it like it's yeah. it's kind of an oxymoron really because in one hand it's brilliant get stuff done categorize it whether you monetize it whether you structurally do it or whatever it takes just process via structure but then what do you think Well, maybe maybe this is the next part of your story. Okay, lead us into what's come next, because at some point, I'm just curious to see where the emotional side kicks in. So keep going, (laughs) keep going. After this divorce and yeah, it's
0: interesting. I think um, yeah, my emotional side probably didn't kick in for for several more years. But I will tell you, there was um, there was a time when I was in the middle of these proposals and it was getting about towards the end. And this was before I started the, the actual work work on the project. So this was just right before that. And I was, I was finishing up these proposals. And like I said, I was working about 120 hours a week and I'm not exaggerating. So I did not, I got paid for 40 hours a week and I worked 120. So that. That shows you how emotionally disconnected I was from everything. And I had a conversation with my dad. So um, among all of this, okay, all of this that was going on, my father was working on a massive project in the middle of India. Okay, so it's not like I could easily call up my family, my mom or my dad and, you know, say, Oh, can I come home for the weekend or whatever it was? It wasn't, it wasn't possible. My dad was on the middle of a project site in the depths of India. And so nonetheless, I didn't have that. I didn't really have a lot of family. I had my family support, but they weren't, they weren't like, they weren't there and they were there from the end of the phone call but they weren't like there. And if that makes any sense. And so I did call my dad one day and I said, dad, I said, I just don't know. I really, I'm getting to the end of these proposals, which means that my 120 hour work days are going to come to an end because I don't know, I won't have anything to work on for 120 hours a week. And I said to, I said to my dad, and I'll never forget. I said, I I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. (laughs) And I didn't, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do with myself if I wasn't at work. And he said to me, he says, well, what have you always wanted to do? And I said, well, gosh, I I don't know. I have no idea what I wanted to do. I haven't thought about it. I've been too busy working. And, um, so we had this conversation on the phone. And I said to him, I said, Well, Dad, you know, I, I think I wanna go, I think I want to go run a marathon. <laughs> and um, my mom and dad are, you know, very open-minded people and very supportive. And he was like, Oh, okay, well, great. You want to go run a marathon? Then go run a marathon. And I said, Oh, well, okay, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. <laughs> and um so I think that was like kind of a I don't know a little tiny glimpse of like an emotional response because it caused me to think outside of my like professional career which was everything to me at the time and think about what else I wanted to want what else I wanted to do and I've always been active in, I've always been active in sports. So even though I was working these crazy hours, I'd still go to the gym for, even if it was 45 minutes a day, that's, it's, I'd still do that, right? And because health and fitness have always, always been a, a part, a significant, I would say a significant, significant part of my life. So I went to... I think I probably went to the local running store and was going to buy a pair of shoes and they had this little flyer out in the running store and it said that they've got this marathon running training program starting and there was an informational night. And I thought, Oh, okay, well, I'll just kind of go to the informational night. And here I am listening to the person talk to us about the next I don't even remember how many weeks it was 20 weeks or whatever of training until you get to your first marathon. And I was sitting there going, you know, what? I don't know how I'm going to find any more hours in my day to be able to do this. Like I said, it was about that same time where all my hours were going to work. And the training program was It was to run the Marine Corps Marathon, and I believe it was in the month of October. Um, And going back a couple of months from that, so I think I had probably a month or two to, I don't know, make my, sort of make my decision after this informational night. And I was sitting there listening to this guy talking, and I thought, well, I don't know how on earth I'm going to be able to do this, because my phone might ring and 24 hours later, I might have to be doing something to, you know, fulfill a requirement, and I'm not going to be able to just take off and go for a run. Um, but anyway, so I was sitting in there talking to this lady who I didn't know and she said, well, are you going to sign up? I said, well, I've thought about it, but I said, I don't know, really know that my work's going to allow me to do it. And she says, well, I don't know either, but we should just do it anyway. And I had no idea who this person was. And, and there was like that little part of me that said, oh, you know what, if I don't sign up, she might not sign up. And if she doesn't sign up, then she won't be able to have this like, you know, amazing experience of running the marathon. So I thought, well, I might as well just sign up too. And then if I make it, I make it. And if I don't, well, at least she will. And, um, so, so I did. And so that was my first, like, kind of conversation with myself about like, what might I want to do if I wasn't, like immersed in work or what might I just want to do because I want to do something that I enjoy. And so nonetheless, so I did, so I did that. My proposals came to, came to an end, like I said, and I started transitioning into um, project management, which believe it or not took less time. (laughs) Didn't take 120 hours a week. So I had time to fit in my marathon training program And um, I ended up running my first marathon in October with the girl that sat next to me that day in the informational night. So we started together. We finished the whole thing. We crossed the line together. And it was like one of those times where I thought, oh, you know what? I can actually just do something for myself because myself wants to do something other than work. And so then that kind of prompted these other conversations with my dad about, well, what else might I want? What else might I want to do that isn't work, by the way, because it was really easy for me to figure out what I wanted to do that was work, because that was so like, it was so ingrained. It was so ingrained in me. And so nonetheless, so he says, well, what else have you wanted to do? And I said, well, I think I'd like to dance. <laughs> He says, "Well, you want to dance?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think I want to go and take a dance class, Dad." And um, so, yeah. So, n- nonetheless, it could, the story could go on for a long time, Kim. But anyway, I started taking I started taking dance classes, and um, I um, did Latin dance, and because I loved Latin music, and I thought, well, what better way to you know to like do something that touches my heart than to you know listen to music that I love and and dance and so that's what I so that's what I did so while I was transitioning from ending these proposals to running these marathons to um doing dance classes and um yeah so I think that you mentioned that structure and at what point in time did I become you know aware like more emotionally and be able to process things emotionally and I think it was those those two activities of running which is very for me very freeing and very calming and then learning to dance, which was much more of a um, like it was much more of like an emotional feeling of the music and allowing that music to, you know, carry my body and my feet through the different, like styles of dance at the time. And that's really, I think, where my emotional like awareness started to come up was because of that connection that I felt to my thoughts when I was running because it was very quieting and that emotion that I felt through through the music that I was dancing to and So, so, so nonetheless, I, I met my, I met my second husband through, through dance. And he was very, very different from, very different from me, which at the time I thought was, was a good thing. It was a little bit of an escape from my highly structured life um, because he was not as structured as I was And he was kind of like this free, like this free spirit. And I think in a lot of ways, like I wanted to be a free spirit. And because I'd been so like constrained, I think, in my life through my studies, through my work, I like that was my I don't know, almost a, like an excuse to like move out of that and move into being my my free spirit self. <laughs> and um, so nonetheless, um, I continued along in my professional path of running these projects. Um, I did quite well and I spend a lot more time with this new person in my life um we spent a lot of time with music with dance um he was a very avid cyclist um and so and i like i said i've always been very adamantly um focused on sports in my life and so i thought oh well i could ride i could learn to ride a bike <laughs> so Um, so since my, I would say my job was more on like an even, even keel, I wasn't working the number of hours that I had to work. I wasn't working under such a high stress, like high stress situations It allowed me a little bit more time in my life to, I don't know, to explore some different, some different things. So I, um, I started I started riding a riding a bike. Um he raced on a team at the time and so I went to all these I went to all these races that he was participating in. And so I got to I would say I got to train and ride with some fairly um some fairly some fairly good riders who competed in cycling events in that area of the United States and the in the south um, southeast, and so I said to myself, I said, well, I'm 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 sure I could be good enough to join a team one day, and so I continued my I would say I continued my practice along with his help and guidance, and joined a, joined a cycling team. And so I didn't, I didn't do that for very long, probably about a, probably about a year. Um, and I think I loved every aspect of it, except for the crashes because having a crash on your bike is not a lot of fun. It can hurt, um, hurt quite a lot. Um, and so I think that, that time was really the, it was really a transition that my divorce had been, my first divorce had been final. Um, I don't think I ever really, I don't even, I don't, I don't think at the time I ever really went back to circle back to emotionally resolve any of the issues during that period of time. I really just, I really just moved forward, Kim. So I just kind of, disconnected like that portion of myself and portion of my life and just moved on and I think at the time the transition was the number of hours that I worked on the proposals and then once that ended and I started going into some of these other activities in my life and met someone new I had all these kind of like new things happening in my life that was I don't know, like yeah, exciting or happy or adventurous or whatever it was, whatever it was at the time. It kind of like filled that, I don't know, emotional emotional void in a in a way. And so I got asked to move out of project management. And I moved into, um, I moved from working with the US government into a business unit that worked in mining. And at the time, mining was um, a hugely growing industry. So I'd had like this nice period of time where. I got a, I would say I had a little bit of a break from the high stress job that I had and I was running projects, they were doing quite well. And I had this opportunity to investigate some other sports, find a new relationship, build a new relationship. And then I had an opportunity to kind of go back to do something different in my career again. So that was kind of like another, like a little bit of a change of a phase in my life and so i moved from running projects back into like a marketing uh a marketing type position because they were trying to win work in the mining mining industry so i took what i knew all the structure going back to structure all the structure that i had um from Running jobs for the US government and took that into a commercial environment to help the company win work in the mining industry. And so I did that, and an opportunity came up to come here to Australia. Um, It wasn't exactly what isn't exactly a clear cut opportunity. Um, My parents at the time um, lived here, so my dad had finished up his job working in India. Um, kind of a little bit of an aside but my family um, we went on a holiday to New Zealand where you've just come back from and um, like I said I had to have my phone with me at all times Um, so I never without my never without my cell phone during during this time of my career and so I was sitting I don't know where we were we were sitting at some beautiful place I think it was Wanaka in new zealand and my phone rings and of course i answer my phone because i always answered my phone when it rang and they said oh we're looking for we're looking for mike mike and i oh okay you're not calling for me well that's odd because the phone always calls for me so anyway um they had tracked me down and wanted to talk to my dad and So what ended up happening on that trip was that my dad was going to be interviewed for a job here in Perth. And so he left vacation for a couple of days, flew from New Zealand to Perth because of this phone call interviewed for this job. And within three or four days, he had a new assignment. And, So my mom and I, while we were flying back to the US, my dad was then making arrangements for he and my mother to to move to Perth. And so that and long story is how we ended up in Perth, Kim. my family
1: ended up in birth yeah it's Um, incredible though when you think about the choices (laughs) the decisions the places and how you end up in different things your story is fascinating (laughs) it's quite incredible and and I can see that throughout your life there has been um I love, the, I love the fact that through all the structure and the work and the pressure you have maintained a love of health and wellness and that included things, as you've said, um, as we said at the beginning with, uh, around karate, running, yoga, cycling, tennis, triathlons, powerlifting, yeah. fitness modelling and all these things. And I really would love you to take us forward then. What was the turning point that took you into coaching and then also
0: motherhood? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, what took me into into coaching and motherhood. So I'll tell you what took me into motherhood first, because that's chronologically, I think, um, what happened first. Coaching is an interesting one because throughout my professional career, I've always served as a mentor. And so they never really labeled us as coaches but they labeled us as mentors and because of the career path that I had taken and because I was quite successful with my career it was common that I was asked to be a mentor to I would say either um, junior people who were coming up into the company or if we were working with a university we've always had um, the company had had arrangements with universities to bring students into the company after graduation and so I had an opportunity to serve as a mentor to university students who were then coming into the into the company so I it's it's kind of it's kind of along the same lines of coaching um, but I'd been a mentor for 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 years for people who were in that type of um, I would say transition from their life from going from a college environment to moving into the workforce um, but that's not it's kind of it's kind of the same and it's kind of it's kind of different um, I should say the only reason that maybe it made it the same was because A lot of the questions that I asked the university students were things like you know what's really important to you in life and what do you what do you value and um, where do you find your your happiness and your joy from because maybe because I didn't kind of have that discussion it was very structured and it was very regimented you know you do this and you do that and you grow your career and you go from here to there and I wanted to have them have a little bit of a different you know a different perspective and insight so that I, I I've never really connected that with coaching but maybe maybe it is a little bit um so going back to motherhood so um I the relationship that I was in um actually ended in uh, another another divorce. And at the time I thought, well, at the time that I was I was married to to him and to my first husband, I got to a point where I said, you know, I can't imagine having children with this particular person who's in my life. And I think when I was younger I made a I made a decision that I wasn't going to have children because I wanted to focus on my career. And so somewhere like in that like emotional depths of my mind I had made a decision that I wasn't going to have children so I could grow my career. And so that probably unconscious decision that I had made and the relationships that I was in at the time didn't really open the opportunity or maybe I didn't open the opportunity to think about having children and it wasn't until I moved here to Perth and I was having a conversation um with my, with my now fiance. And I said to him, we were talking about different things in life. And he says, you know, he said, you know, is there anything, you know, is there anything that you regret or any regrets that you have? And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I regret not having children. And I was I would say I was well past the stereotypical childbearing years, okay? So when you're 35 and you go to the doctor these days and you tell them that you're pregnant or that you want to have a baby, they consider you high risk because you're old, okay? And when my partner, Nick, and I started talking about having children, I was... 46 and so even having the conversation I had no idea that we would open a conversation about having a child together because I thought I was I don't know I didn't really consider it I just thought well I probably had those opportunities earlier in my life and I didn't take I didn't take advantage of them and so I'm kind of left at this point in my life where I'm just not going to have the opportunity to have children and so we had um this was another another conversation that's obviously obviously changed you know changed my life and he said well what if we could have a child together and I thought well I don't know I said I don't even know that that's I don't even know that So we, we decided collectively, Nick and I did, we said, well, we're going to, we're going to have a try and like, see what happens. And I was smart enough to know that at 46, it's unlikely to just you know go and have a baby and so I went to my I went to my GP and I know that they tell you they say well you have to be trying for at least like I don't know six months before you can even come and see a fertility specialist or anything like that Um, and I thought well I'm 46 I don't have six months to wait Um, so I just told them, even though it wasn't true, I told them, I said, oh yeah, we've been trying for at least six months. It may have even been eight months at the time, uh, because I didn't want them to come back and say, okay, well you just go away and try and then we'll let you know how it, you know, if it doesn't work, (laughs) come back and let us know. So, um, nonetheless, I would say it's a, it's a much longer, it's a much longer story, Kim, and I could probably go on for, Um, quite some time about what we went through Um, but we embarked on a um, fertility journey it did involve IVF at the end and um, we went through several I would say several failures before before we were we were successful and I remember when um I I knew, okay, I knew at this time, I knew that the transfer, the embryo transfer was going to be successful. And when you talk about, you know, where like emotion and that kind of thing comes in, that was definitely like a turning point in my emotional awareness. And like, I knew without any shadow of a doubt 100% certain that that transfer on that day was going to be successful. So when I took um when we took our pregnancy test and it was positive, I was like, well of course it's positive. I knew it was going to be positive. And the funny thing was, is that it's one thing to go to the doctor and tell them that you're 46 and that you want to have a baby. And they look at you and they say, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Followed by, well, you know how unlikely that is that this is going to happen. And then they read you off all of the, I would say the the risks, right, of how it isn't going to be successful and what the risks are to you and what the risks are to the baby and so on and so forth and how I'm crazy. Right. And I said, okay, we'll just get all that done with, and this is what I'm going to do anyway. But the difference, the difference between going to the doctor and telling them that you want to have a baby and showing up and telling them that you're pregnant is a totally different experience. And while I had an amazing obstetrician who I who I love he's a fantastic man one of the things that he said very early on in my pregnancy was he said he said that one he said well we need to watch you very very carefully which I appreciated okay I wanted to have that um somebody to to watch over me but he said he says you know you'll be very lucky to carry a baby to term. And I thought, well, what does that mean? I said, well, why would it be lucky? <laughs> and So he pulls out his chart and his chart shows, cause he was very scientific and appealed to that structured side of me, which still exists. And he pulled out this chart and it shows the number of weeks of um, gestation followed by, you know, the age of the mother, And what the risks are if you carry the baby to term. And so he had this little chart that essentially showed that the risks of me carrying a baby past 38, 38 and a half weeks, was this massive spike in a baby being stillborn. Um, So he showed me this chart and essentially told me that regardless of where the baby was and the placenta was that I'd have to have a a C-section because the baby had to come out by 38 something weeks. Otherwise the the risk of the baby being stillborn was extremely high. And um, so, so nonetheless, even while I was successfully pregnant, all the way through my pregnancy, I had these little things, you know, pop up of, you know, the risks here, the risks there. Can I carry a baby to term? And, you know, how is my pregnancy going to go? And the funny thing was, Kim, is that I had a, I would say a textbook, perfect pregnancy and I attribute it to the fact that I have taken care of myself, my physical well being my entire life. I haven't done drugs. I don't drink. I don't, uh, I don't really do anything that would cause my body any, you know, any particular harm. And so when I was, when I was pregnant, I had a great, I had a great pregnancy. I exercised through my pregnancy. I didn't have morning sickness. I had absolutely nothing. And at 38 weeks and four days, I delivered my little baby girl. And
1: <laughs> from that perspective, what was the cue for it to be on that day? What was said in order for you to know that it was she was going to be delivered at 38 weeks and four days?
0: Um, my doctor. So he at the very end, I went to see him probably every day. And they put this little like monitor around your tummy to measure the activity and the growth of the of the baby and so he she was she was going to be born on May 20th and I think on May 18th or something he said nope she's coming out tomorrow (laughs) I said okay (laughs) and so on May 19th she was born she was 38 weeks and four days um, which was within the the safe, the safe um, delivery, delivery window. And that was when I was 40, I was 48. And two years later, and she is the most beautiful, wonderful, joyous soul in the world. And having her has been the biggest blessing in my life. And what's interesting is that that her, she was my like um, life change from my corporate life to being a coach. And the reason was because I was in this corporate career for so many, so many years working for this company that supposedly valued women and pregnancy and coming back to work and everything like that. And I gave birth to Ella Rose in the middle of our lockdown in Perth because of COVID. And um, with the situation um, in in Perth and the lockdowns, there were a lot of jobs that were cancelled or put on hold. And in mining, there were a lot of jobs that were cancelled and put on hold at that time. And so Ella Rose was born. And about two weeks later, I got a call um, that I was going to that I needed to call and talk to my boss. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's nice. And I got on the call. So this was I was probably a week home from the hospital. I hadn't been cleared to drive. I had a C-section, so I wasn't really getting around very well. And I wasn't thinking about going back to work at the time because I was on, I think, um, my doctor wanted me to be home for six weeks. And got a call and I thought, well, that's really nice. My boss is gonna call and congratulate me on having a new baby, right? And um I answered the phone and they said, Oh, well, we've got we've got HR with us. And I thought, Oh, okay, well, that's odd. Right. HR wants to wish me, you know, a happy, like, you know, a happy, joyous birth of my daughter, right? And um and I've worked for this company about 20 years at the time, Kim. And I've worked with these particular people for at least 10 years. And the first thing they said wasn't congratulations. How's your baby girl? How's everything going? Um, we're so happy for you. It was Well, you know, with COVID and the downturn that we've had, we're going to have to make you redundant. (laughs) And and, um, so nonetheless, that in itself was a pretty like massive, massive change in my entire life and my entire being in this career that I've had for 20 something years and that has now been ended with a phone call and I'm sitting here not barely even being able to take care of myself because I've had this massive surgery to have a baby but here I am and I've got this little baby to take care of and trying to figure out how on earth am I going to be a new mom and what on earth am I going to do and so I had a I would say a fairly significant soul searching like journey that I, I went through and I asked myself a lot of those questions that my dad asked me back at the very beginning of this whole story where I said, well, what have I always wanted to do and what do I enjoy doing and what brings me like, What brings me like joy and happiness and fulfillment in my heart, in my life? And I have been, I would say I've been mentoring and coaching people for, for years, all the way through my professional career, just in a little bit of a different, in a different way. And at the time I gave birth to Ella Rose, who's my daughter, I had already studied, um, NLP, neuro linguistic programming and timeline therapy. And I'd already done my um, master practitioner's um, course at the time as well. So, somewhere in the depths of my unconscious mind, um, it was already something that was important to me and already something that I was pursuing. So, when I had my daughter and I was made redundant from the company, and I had a long conversation with Nick about what I wanted to do I said you know what I said I've always wanted to like have my own company I've always wanted to help people and I've always wanted to you know make a difference in like somebody's life and like allow them to you know have this fulfillment and joy in life and so that's what I decided to, that's what I decided to do. So after Alla Rose was born and I was made redundant, I started my little company. I've um, since received my certification in um, hypnosis as well. So I've added that to my little bucket of, of offerings and, you know, now have an opportunity to, like, make a difference in the world and make a difference to people and in their life and help them to go through those transitions that that i've been through that i didn't necessarily have that like insight and guidance that i just really went through on my own but now i can like give that back to someone else
1: Well, you do it so beautifully and oh my gosh, your story is quite mind-blowing and I think for many of us, you give us such hope and such joy in knowing that whatever stage we're at in our life, whatever we study or choose to work on, there is always openings and in your words, opportunities that we take or don't take that create the next step of our journey. You have traveled the world. I find it fascinating that you are an incredible risk management uh, professional and a strategic planning professional. And almost your pregnancies, uh, the losses and the beautiful birth of your baby girl has also been, even though it was risky, as the doctors said, you strategically managed it in the best way possible Mm -hmm. with the best possible outcome. Now you're a coach and a hypnotherapist. You're still mentoring. You've also got this beautiful, gorgeous blue-eyed little poppet.
0: What's next
1: for you, my darling April?
0: Oh, wow. Um, you know, one, there's a couple of things that were ne- are next. Um, so my, my love of learning will always, will always be with me. Um, so I'm scheduled to study advanced hypnosis um early next year um, so I'll receive a certification in clinical and conversational hypnotherapy then um which is something near and dear to my heart i love I love the um the hypnosis modality as a therapy for people because it is so. It's so powerful and it's so different from what a lot of people think that it is. And so that's, um, I would say, my next educational, my next educational um, uh, foray. Um, I'm in a mentoring program, a business mentoring program at the time, uh, currently, um, working on growing, growing my business. I have a number of different, I'd say, um, aspects to the business that I want to want to develop and and offer. So some things that are being added to the offerings that I have, and yeah, let's see what else is next. Um,
1: Well, can I just interject there? One of the things that you do so well and you did for me when I was going through a small crisis, well, it was a big crisis just recently, um, you made me a beautiful hypnosis, which I listen to daily, sometimes twice a day. um, And being a practitioner in advanced hypnosis myself, I find it really beautiful when someone else Um, another therapist can gift you that incredible tool. And I do agree with you. It is an incredibly powerful modality. And what I love about it, it's very gentle, but deeply, profoundly life-changing. And one of the things that I find so beautiful with your voice and the way you put the music and the whole thing together is all your skills, all your abilities throughout your whole life have now become from being so structured to being really working on such a deeply emotional level. It's quite interesting and amazing, don't you think?
0: Yeah, it's, um, yeah, being able to do um, that recording that I did for you or the hypnosis recordings for um, some of my clients is, is, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it, Kim. It's like a it's like a journey that like I allow my heart and my soul to go on with you or with the client that I'm working on because it's it like even though you and I don't necessarily know each other very well, um I tapped into what I intuitively felt that you needed or wanted and to be able to translate that within my to be able to bring that feeling like into myself and into my heart and into my spirit to be able to create something that would like speak to you in a healing in a healing way and that's what I've tried to do with some of the hypnosis recordings that I've done with my with my clients to help them to heal. And that in itself is um, is is so is so moving, and it's so it's so powerful because it allows me to create something that will help to you know to heal someone else or help someone through their through their journey and whether that's to you know whether that's something you know like to stop drinking or to move through depression or anxiety or through a loss or you know through some other like transition that um a person is going through in their life there's something really special about being able to do that. And so I do put a lot of my heart and soul into that.
1: Do you think then where you're at now, looking at your life, just sharing your whole story and the steps that it's taken for you to get to this. One of the things that you said is you've always highly valued your health and your fitness that is definitely, regardless of how many hours a week you've worked, that would definitely be something that stopped you, I would imagine, from having a complete breakdown working for that many hours and that many stressful situations. That is a form of self-love taking care of your health and your fitness. What is your definition of self-love?
0: Yeah, um, and, and you're, you're, abs- you're absolutely right, and that was, that was my way, of take that was that's always been my way to take care of myself is through my health and through my fitness. And self-love to me really is being able to take care of myself in a way that allows me to take care of others because I've always I've always felt inside of me this like desire to want to to help or to care for others for humanity and I do that the best when I've been able to take care of myself first and so that self-love to me is really just taking care of myself so I can care for others and that can show up in so many different ways and even the way that I've shown myself self-love has changed so much. No, it hasn't changed, Kim. I would say it's evolved. So it's evolved from, you know, where it was 15, 20 years ago from being, you know, very sports-minded and just, like, taking that time out to run or to go to the gym or to listen to music or to dance and now i would say that definition of self-love is so much more expanded um so i do a lot i do a lot more for myself now than i um, have done in the past so i do a lot of um i do a lot of meditation um i do my yoga classes at least at least three or four days a week Um, I might go for a walk and it could be like it could be a 10 minute walk around the block Um, it could be listening to listening to different types of you know different types of music so I know what music feeds my heart in the right way at the right time during the day Um, It could be, like, diffusing an essential oil in my house. It could be something as simple. I've got very long hair. Um, Self-love can be as simple now as, like, washing my hair. (laughs) So...
1: It's such a true definition, <laughs> isn't it? And especially yeah. now as a mum of a little toddler as well. I know we could talk forever and your story is so incredible, but I'm, we're coming to the close and i just love you to let people know if they wanted to follow you or if they wanted to learn more about you and your ability to take care of yourself through the powers of mentoring, coaching, hypnosis, all of the things that you do, could you tell us how we can reach out to you, sweetheart?
0: Yeah so probably the easiest way is to go to my website and my website is www.aprilkinney.com and i'm sure you'll include the spelling in the in the notes um, you could also follow me on facebook under april kinney i have a business page and a personal page under under april kinney and I have an Instagram and a LinkedIn profile, again, both under under April Kinney. And that's probably the easiest the easiest way um, to find me. But definitely if anyone wants to send me a message, go to aprilkinney.com and under the contact me page and you'll be able to reach me right away.
1: And I just want the listener in case you're driving or walking or out running, that's April, A-P-R-I-L, and then Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y.com. Beautiful girl. What a conversation. I have to say, I've not spoken to someone who's worked so closely in the the war zones and also in the incredible work that you've done for places like the US government. So this has been hugely eye-opening for me as well. Uh, Congratulations on all of the incredible success you've had throughout your life and your career. And I think more than anything, my biggest congratulations really does come down to that beautiful little girl. There's, There's something about motherhood that can sit so beautifully next to our careers, But it is true that for many of us that have the blessing to become a mum, that we can work alongside being a mum and you are doing that so beautifully. And to those women out there who don't choose to have children or can't, then just know our hearts are there for you. uh, And also know that thank you for those of you who choose not to become mums that make your career an incredible point of making a difference in people's lives that way. I think the greatest gift we can give to one another as women is to champion each other, whatever our decisions are. And I just really want to champion you, beautiful April. And thank you so much for being a part of the self-love podcast. I would love you to finish by letting us know what is your favorite quote at the moment?
0: Um, well, my favorite quote has been from, from many years um, from Eleanor Roosevelt and, It says, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams.
1: Oh, wow. What a beautiful, amazing quote, especially alongside your story. It has been an absolute pleasure and privilege to have you on the (laughs) self-love podcast. Thank you so, so much, sweetheart.
0: Thank you, Kim. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today.